Welcome to the podcast by Pleasant Valley, where we talk about biblical truth, address your questions, and seek to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast by Pleasant Valley. I'm your host, Caleb Eisler. And for this week's podcast, we're going to listen to a sermon I recently preached at 20-somethings. This sermon was delivered on Thursday, November 5th, 2020, so a couple days after the presidential election. At the time of this recording, we didn't know who the winner of the election was. It hadn't been announced yet. But I think you'll find that the whether or not we know the winner of the election, this message will be relevant for you. We decided to delve into some big topics, namely Christianity and politics. So basically all the things you're not supposed to talk about around the Thanksgiving table of family and friends. But we thought this was important to address together. Specifically, we talked about what does it mean that Jesus is king? And how does Jesus reigning as king inform our understanding of the government? but also our response right now as Christians in the United States. My prayer is that you would be encouraged, maybe even challenged, but that you would walk away with an abundance of hope. So without further ado, let's join the 20-somethings crew as we listen to the message titled, The Most Political Statement Ever Made. God, we thank you for a chance to be able to gather together tonight. Um, And uh, there are lots of ways we could look out at our country's culture and just the turmoil and division and um, we can be disappointed and ungrateful but God we want to recognize uh, just the reality that we get to meet here without fear of persecution tonight and God that is an immense gift that we never want to take for granted so God would you uh, would you help us just just be so incredibly thankful for the ability to be able to gather and worship together to praise your name tonight God thank you for the men and women you have used to secure that freedom And God, we want to pray for those that are in other countries where they can't meet and they can't gather without fear of persecution. God, in places where they have to be led blindfolded to worship gatherings, and if they were caught, they would be shot on the spot. So God, we are thankful for this freedom. God, we want to pray that you would be with those that are gathering in uh, just in dangerous countries. God, be with them, keep them safe. God, honor and bless their attempts to be able to gather together in your name. God, help us not to take this privilege for granted. God, as we uh, embark on just a big topic about Christianity and politics, um, that would you help our spirits and help our ears and our hearts as, as we hear from your word, but God, also help me. Um, pray that anything I say that is foolish, God, that you would just cast out from the minds of all listening, but anything I say that is true, is according to your word, God, would you magnify it to the praise of your name. So God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. God, thank you for a chance to talk about Jesus. And God, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Revelation 19, 13, and 16 says, He, Jesus, is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Ephesians 1, 20-21 says, God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 says, 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like one, like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Revelation 17, 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. Hebrews 1, 3-4 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Revelation 1, 5-6 says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 2, 8-11 and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation 15.3 They sang the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Finally, 1 Timothy 6, 13 through 15, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the clearest and most fundamental statements in all of Scripture is the fact that Jesus is king. And it is also the most political statement in all of Scripture. The most political statement you and I could make right now is not make America great again or Biden-Harris 2020. No, the most political statement we could make is Jesus is king. But as Christians, especially if we've grown up in the church, we, we hear that phrase, Jesus is king, and we kind of have a vague idea that comes to our mind, but do we really understand the implications of what that means? Part of our issue, especially as Americans, is we don't have much of a conception of kings. So think about it. What comes to your mind when you think of a king? Do you picture a man with a beard and a crown on a throne? Do you picture royalty like the Queen of England? Do you think of the musical Hamilton and King George and the spit coming out of his mouth during the songs? Or do you picture a tyrant? We all have different conceptions that come to mind when we think of a king. But are any of these actually reflective of what the Bible means when it talks as Jesus is king? I want to say simply put, no. When the Bible says Jesus is king, it means something far more expansive. This king, this Jesus, is different from any other king that has ever existed. Just listen to how Colossians 1, 15 to 20 speaks of King Jesus. It says this, 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There is no king like Jesus. This king created the world. This king commands the winds and the seas. This king defeated sin and Satan and all of the powers of hell at the cross. This king defeated death by stepping out of the tomb on the third day. And this king will bring perfect and utter justice in the end. This is a king who defeats all of his enemies. This king has no rival or equal. This king commands your allegiance and mine. And his gospel is the announcement of his coming kingdom. Every action you and I make, every breath we take, every atom in existence, every second of time relates to the kingship and authority of Jesus. The fact that Jesus is king informs everything about our lives, including our politics. So in light of that, now that we've set up kind of a broader framework of Jesus is king, let me tell you where we're going to go tonight. Kind of give you an outline for our evening. First, in light of the fact that Jesus is king, we're going to focus on how does Jesus reigning as king inform our understanding of government. And then we're going to finish by talking about how does Jesus as king inform our understanding of how we need to respond right now in our nation. We're going to talk about those two things, and then we're going to end in a time of prayer. So that's where we're going. So here's one note I want to make before we go any further. Some of you, if you've been on social media, you've probably seen memes or Twitter threads or posts shared talking about how declaring Jesus as king at a time like this seems really insensitive. It feels like it's dismissing worries and anxieties of the people around us. And here's what I want to be clear about. That is not what I mean to do when I declare Jesus is king. And so if you'll hang with me, we're going to actually address that very thing later in the sermon. But I think it'll make sense to do it towards the end, and you'll see why. So hang with me. Give me some grace. We're going to get to that. I promise this whole thing is not meant to be a dismissive declaration. But I think it's important to set up uh, just all the ways that Jesus is king informs our view of the world. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and begin by looking at how Jesus' kingship informs our understanding of government. Obviously, this is a massive topic. There have been whole seminary classes taught on this. There have been millions and millions and millions of pages of books written on this. There's no way we could cover this in exhaustive detail or really do it the full justice it deserves. Like, we're not even going to scratch the surface tonight. But I still think it's really important for us to talk about. So we're not even going to get to a 30,000-foot view. It's going to be more like a 100,000-foot view of how Jesus as king informs our understanding of government. And I'm just basically going to try to give you just a few handles to kind of grab hold of as we build out that framework. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive in. As we try to talk about government and how Jesus as king informs our view of government, we need to define our terms. So here is my ultra-basic definition for how the Bible defines government. 
Government is the temporary and provisional organization set up by God through humanity in order to bring justice and promote human flourishing. Let me read that one more time. Government is a temporary provisional organization set up by God through humanity in order to bring justice and promote human flourishing. We're going to break that down and think through how Jesus is king informs that. So let's put on a thinking caps for about five to seven minutes and lean in. I think you'll find this could be really, really helpful. So if we had more time to break this down, we could go through dozens and dozens and dozens of verses. But for the sake of time, we're just going to focus on one single passage, probably the most famous passage in all of the scriptures about the government. It's going to be Romans 13, 1 to 7. Romans 13, 1 to 7. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there, and we'll have the, the verses on the board as well. Romans 13, 1 to 7. I'm going to read it in full. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. We could spend weeks on that passage. I feel like I'm saying that the whole time in the section of government, but it is it's just there's so much there. But I just want us to notice just a few things to help us make sense of this definition of government. First, notice that all governmental authority comes from God. Verse 1 tells us that there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God is the one who gives authority to the government. Without him, they have no authority. Daniel 2.21 confirms this when Daniel says that God removes kings and he sets up kings. We even get a glimpse of this in Jesus' words in the Great Commission in Matthew 8.28.18, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to King Jesus and all authority comes from King Jesus. Second, Notice that God has set up governments to bring about justice and to promote human flourishing. Verses 3 to 5 of Romans 13 say this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Governments are intended to bring justice, to punish evil, and to promote good and human flourishing. Now to this point, you might step back and say, okay, hang on, what the heck? There are many, many, many evil governments and rulers in the world today who don't pursue justice or promote good. So what do we have to say about them? And you'd be right to point that out. 
When governments do that, they are straying from their created purpose. And when governments are run by fallen human beings, then they will surely stray from their original intended purpose. And we can see examples of this in Scripture, of God even using those corrupt governments for good. For example, think about the book of Habakkuk, where God says he will use the Chaldeans to bring justice to Judah. Obviously, this is a massive, massive topic, and we don't have time to cover it all. But for our purposes, I just want you to see that God sets up governments to bring about justice, to punish evil, and to promote human flourishing. Now, here is an important implication for the things that we just said about God giving authority to governments and putting them in a place to promote justice and human flourishing, and it's this. We are called to submit to those governments. Romans 13, 1 through 2, shows us this when Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So if we fail to obey the government, we are failing to obey Jesus because King Jesus has commanded us to obey the government. Rejecting the authority of the government means we reject the authority of Jesus. Now, you may be you may be wondering, okay, what about civil disobedience? There are surely times where we shouldn't follow everything the government says, right? And there definitely is a category for civil disobedience in the Bible. All you have to do is look at Acts chapter 5 to see that. But the times that call for civil disobedience are probably fewer and further between than we might think. Usually civil disobedience is only called for when a government is directly and continually attempting to keep Christians from worshiping God, usually by means of extreme violence. So think North Korea, where Christians are killed for worshiping God. Or civil disobedience might be called for when we are called to directly carry out a clear and uncontested form of immorality, such as Nazi soldiers being asked to terminate Jews, for example. That would be a time for civil disobedience. So again, there's are, there are times the Bible would call for civil disobedience. Um, again, Christians in Acts 5, and those Christians are going to say the same thing we should say. We need to follow God and not man. But again, those occasions are probably less frequent than we might expect. We have to remember that when Paul is writing Romans 13... Nero is on the throne as emperor. Nero is on the throne as emperor. I don't know what you think about our current president or any of the past presidents that have ever ruled in this nation, but none of them compare to the evil of Nero. None of them. Even your greatest political enemy that you can think of right now, maybe someone you don't want elected, they don't, they don't compare to Nero. So, we need to have a category for civil disobedience and submission that matches something closer to the Apostle Paul. Our gut instinct should not be to rebel, but to submit. So, for example, if you're doing your taxes, if, you're, if you avoid doing your taxes, you're not being bold or brave. You're just breaking the law and therefore resisting the government's authority, which means you're resisting God's authority since he gave the government their own authority. That's why Paul specifically points out that practical example of paying taxes in Romans 13. As much as you and I might not feel this way on April 15th, you know, we don't really want to pay our taxes, paying taxes is an act of worship to God because you are obeying His commands and authority. I have to tell myself that every time, every April 15th. 
Finally, when I gave my definition of government at the beginning of this section, I said that government is temporary and provisional. Again, if we have more time, I would flesh that out in detail, but for the sake of time, let me just highlight one set of passages that make sense of this. When the Bible and the Gospels and the book of Isaiah says that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never fade, I think one of the implications of this is that when Jesus comes again and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, and he redeems all of humanity that have accepted him, that we have redeemed bodies, a redeemed world, at that time there will be no more man-made governments. There will be no American president in heaven. We won't have a need for him. In a redeemed world with redeemed men and women, we won't have a need for government to promote justice or human flourishing because there will be no sin to punish and we will experience the maximal amount of human flourishing as we have unhindered communion with God. We will all joyfully and worshipfully be under the eternal monarchy and kingship of Jesus. So, government is just temporary and it's provisional and is an institution set up by God through humanity to promote justice and human flourishing until Jesus' return. To be clear, none of what I've said about the government is meant to promote passivity or anything like that when we think about our relation to the government. Think about men like Joseph or Daniel. They set powerful examples for us because there are men who served in prominent roles in secular governments who used their roles to promote justice and human flourishing, to influence the government for good, and to honor God. And we can do the exact same today. Even voting is a great way to promote justice and human flourishing as we seek to influence the government and her laws. Finally, as a church, we can have a prophetic voice to call governments to rule with honor and integrity like the very God who gave them their own authority. Again, everything here I've said is just there basically to give us a basic framework of the Bible's view of government. And I know there's a lot there that's dense, but I think it's important to talk about it because one, I think it will aid our discussion of Jesus as king. And if we're being honest, I think cable news and social media inform our political theology more than the Bible. And I want to change that. So, Jesus' kingship impacts all of our understanding of government. King Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. The rulers and governments of the world only have authority because God has given it to them. All rulers and governments are meant to submit to God and honor Him. King Jesus shows us what true godly authority looks like by caring for the least of these, protecting the image of God in humanity, not abusing His authority, living sacrificially, and pursuing justice. Jesus reigning as king means that we are freed up to pursue justice and goodness in our lives and through the government even now. And Jesus reigning as king means that we have hope when the government fails to live up to his calling. One day, the governments will all pass away and Jesus himself will bring perfect and true justice to the world, even to the ungodly and unjust governments and rulers of world history. Jesus as king informs everything about understanding of government and authority. So we can take, take the, the thinking caps off part way, not all the way. I still want you to think for the rest of this, but that's the dense portion. It's over. Now let's move to portion two. We've got this broader framework of Jesus as king, then how that informs our understanding of government. Now with keeping those in mind, how does Jesus reigning as king inform our response to everything that's going on in our country 
right now. The first way I think Jesus as king informs our response to everything going on right now is that we should have infinite hope because Jesus sits on the throne above all powers and principalities. Because Jesus is king, our ultimate hope in laws and judges uh, and parties and presidents doesn't need to be there. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the sacrificial king who did not abuse his authority, but he stepped down from heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve to die. He paid the price for our sin, freed us from all the oppressive principalities of darkness and hell, and he rose victoriously from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. We have infinite hope with Jesus because he is king, no matter what happens in our country right now. We need to tell the whole world about our King Jesus. They need to hear about him so they can have hope and they can give him their allegiance. We need to tell the whole world about this King Jesus. And to be clear, declaring that Jesus is King is not a passive act. It's not meant to be fatalistic or dismissive. Actually, it's incredibly active. As subjects of King Jesus, we are actually given commands to carry out. The first command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is where we can begin to see the answer to the objections some people have had on social media about saying Jesus is king right now. Part of the way we declare Jesus is king is by living as Jesus lived. Jesus lived sacrificially. He did not abuse authority. He cared for the widow and the orphan and the poor. He understands our plights and had the utmost compassion and love for those around him. He was not dismissive of the concerns of those in his day, but he took those concerns seriously, even weeping with those who wept while fighting for justice on their behalf. We need to do the same as subjects of King Jesus. Don't dismiss the distress of those around you and the distress they might be feeling. Seek truth, but be there to walk alongside them. Care for them. Show them compassion. Love them well. Pursue justice for them. That's what we have to do in the lives of our neighbors. And that's a major way that we can declare that Jesus is king because we're doing all the same things that he did to those around him. As I prepared for this message, I spent a lot of time studying the two most significant passages in the Bible about government. First one, Romans 13, 1 to 7, which we just read, and the other one, which is 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. One of the most striking things I've noticed is that directly preceding both of those passages are verses that exhort Christians to live with kindness and love and respect, even to those who persecute them. No matter the results of this election, we are called to live with the utmost dignity and respect to everyone around us. Pot shots on social media, unfriending people right and left, fear-mongering gossip, and harboring hatred for political opponents do not meet this biblical standard at all. We should not descend to the rhetoric around us as Christians. In the words of Peter, we're to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Imagine how different and more Christ-like the world would look if we all did that. It would be amazing. The second command for us as subjects of King Jesus is the great commandment, uh, the great commission given by Jesus after his resurrection in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pause for a second. 
He just said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now notice the very first thing he says after making that huge declaration. He goes on to say this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. The king of the universe has commanded us to declare the gospel and to make disciples. And in this moment, this tense moment, we need to declare the hope of the gospel to everyone around us. Declaring the gospel means heralding the good news about a coming king. So declaring the biblical gospel means proclaiming that Jesus is king and that his kingdom is coming. So are you doing that? Are you proclaiming the gospel to those around you? Or maybe a better question would be, what gospel are you proclaiming to those around you? In your conversations, in your social media posts, are you primarily declaring the advent and kingship of Jesus or the coming of your favorite political party or politician? I think one way many Christians have failed in this political season is that we have made it seem like our hope rests in a political party or a candidate. The way we post and the way we talk, the things we get most animated about and urgent about are not the fact that Jesus is king or that he's coming, but it's our political party of choice or our hatred for a political candidate. Again, I'm not saying we can't post about politics or talk about those things, but if we were to pull our non-Christian friends around us and just ask them to say, in the last six months, what are the two or three things that first come to mind when they think of us? Would they say, that, oh, they're Christians, they love Jesus, they're kind and compassionate? Or would they say they really hate Joe Biden or Donald Trump? What do you think they would say? I think many of us might be really dismayed to know the answers to those questions, or if we would apply that to family members or friends. Many of us Christians have made the world believe that our ultimate hope is in a politician rather than Jesus, and shame on us for doing that. We should commit tonight, us here, and all of the Christians we know, to proclaiming the glory and coming of Jesus, and not of a potential president. I think another way that Jesus' kingship informs our response is that no matter who sits in the White House, we as a church, again, we need to have a prophetic voice to call the government to honor God in the way she rules and pursues justice and seeks to promote human flourishing. We should call for leaders to lead with integrity and compassion. Because Jesus is king, we can have that prophetic voice to say, hey, you need to honor and image the coming king. I think also because Jesus is king, we can take hope in knowing that this world isn't ultimately our home. America is not ultimately our home. America and all of the nations of the world will one day pass away. Just like John Piper has said, they will one day be a footnote in history, but the kingdom of Jesus will endure forever. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. It's not here. Philippians 3, 20, 21 reminds us of this when it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are sojourners and strangers and exiles to this world on a pilgrimage to a heavenly kingdom. 
Have you ever considered that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you are calling for the nations of the world, including our own nation, to pass away and give way to Jesus' coming kingdom? Have you ever thought about that? And in that kingdom, he will bring a redeemed earth. He will renew all things in our bodies and bring perfect peace and justice. We should strive to bring justice and goodness to our country and our world right now, but ultimately, our hope, our allegiance, and our home is founded by another king, King Jesus. Lastly, Jesus' kingship informs our response because it informs our prayer. Our King Jesus himself prayed, and if the king of the universe prayed when he was on earth, then I think we should pray too. Paul gives us some helpful things to pray for in the season of political turmoil in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. He says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is pleasing in the sight of God. This is how we're going to close our time together. We're going to close our time together in prayer at our tables for our nation and whoever might get elected as president. I kind of assume Nevada hasn't finished their count yet. Um, We're going to spend time praying for those in authority. We're going to spend time praying for the Christian witness of those who are living in this land and across the world. The Bible says it's a good thing. And I just think of Jeremiah 29, 7. You have a portion there. We, we all know 29.11, but 29.7, he actually talks about how we should pray for the welfare of the nation we're in. Even, even though that nation may not be our home, we may be exiles, we should pray for that nation because our well-being is in some ways tied to that nation. We want to see our nation flourish. We want to see peace abound because when there's peace, it means that the gospel can flourish in powerful ways. When there's good education, it means people can then read their Bibles When there is peace and justice, we can see rulers that image the glory of God. And we can just go on and on and on and on. We want to foster peace and get a foretaste of what heaven is like. So it is a good thing for us to pray for our nation together. Pray for her leaders, her peace, her citizens, and finally, the coming kingdom of Jesus. So let me close us in a word of prayer. And I'm going to turn it over to you all at your tables for an extended time, probably five to seven minutes. And I want you to pray together about our nation and our leaders and ultimately the coming kingdom of Jesus. And then we're going to close out with a song and our benediction. Let me pray. Can we thank you again that we can gather here God, in freedom, freedom from persecution as we seek to praise your name. And God, we do this at a tense moment in our nation. God, for many of us, it just can feel like doom scrolling on social media or just hearing uh, just wild things from family members and friends. Uh, we can feel the tension and the animosity all around us. And God, it's in this moment God, that we pray for our nation. God, would you bring peace and unity? Whatever the result of the election is, God, bring peace, bring safety. We ask for protection for the law enforcement and those that might protest. We pray that it be peaceful protests. God, we pray for the leaders here. Whoever gets elected president, God, give them wisdom. God, help them seek your face. 
Help them come to a knowledge of you. God, we pray for our community that protect those here, protect businesses, protect people. God, be with us in conversations with family and friends. Help us have the aroma of Jesus, an aroma of compassion and beauty and peace and tenderness and respect. God, help us treat everyone, whether online or in person, with the full dignity of someone that is made in the image of God. And God, finally, we, we pray for the coming kingdom of Jesus. God, a day where elections will be no more because there will be one king and he's going to sit on the throne forever and we will praise his name at his feet and gaze upon him face to face in perfect peace, in perfect harmony across all nations and peoples and times and ages forever. God, until that day, help us represent you well and declare that Jesus is king. It's in his mighty name we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the podcast by Pleasant Valley. If you want to hear more from us, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, pleasantvalley.org. God bless.